Blog Talk Radio. Tuesday evening, April 15, 2014, and again, it's a pleasure to have you with us this evening, to spend your evening hours with us for a moment of sharing of, of knowledge and energy and, and awareness. Again, as I always, I would like to pay homage to the One Most High, to our ancestors, to my lovely wife, my dear mother, my children, my daughter, and godsons, and all of my siblings, and of course those of you who are friends and family throughout this cyber world and who have grown up with me throughout my developing years as a young man into my present state of consciousness. I thank you for being supportive, and I thank you for being in my life. We continue this evening with... um, reviewing a very dynamic book titled African Holistic Health, which was authored by Dr. Leela O. Africa. And for those of you who may be listening for the first time or who did not uh, tune in in previous day or so to get an overview of Dr. Africa, uh, Dr. Africa is the first person to publish and write a, a major book such as African Holistic Health. It's the first major book which addresses health issues from a comprehensive African-centered viewpoint. It provides a, a guide to herbal remedies along with homeopathic disease treatments. And what makes African Health, uh, African Holistic Health, uh, excuse me, uh, what makes it unique is that the research that Dr. Africa has provided on the physiological as well as the psychological uh, basis differentiates between people of African descent versus people of European descent. And in addition, Dr. Africa provides a complete history from the 9th century to the 18th century of the European herb trade and why Europe invaded Africa for healing plants. And finally, he concludes by detailing how European diseases defeated ancient Africa. African holistic health helps you to learn about the holistic sex lives and laws 
the self-diagnosis, disease, treatments, and the danger of commercial foods, and much more. But the most important lesson to be learned in this book is the concept of holistic health. And, of course, the name of my show is uh, Grassroots Holistic Health. And I came up with that name uh, serendipitously by spirit, as it were. So there was a synchronicity in terms of me connecting with other like souls and, and, and activists throughout our community who have the same thing in mind in terms of approaching our health from a holistic perspective as opposed from a linear, um, westernized, technological perspective. So holistic health, uh, the African holistic health is written from an African-centered viewpoint and appropriately condemns European commercialism and people of European descent as well as people of African descent who uh, will find this book to be the key to healing their bodies. So we left off last night highlighting the fact that a holistic diagnosis, diagnosis rather, of a holistic human gives way to determining a holistic treatment and that no machine, gadget, or technology can holistically perform this unless it relies on the fuel of the human mind, spirit, emotion, and body. And Caucasian non-holistic machinery and technology, in other words, using a fragmentation and a predatory military logic to duplicate African holistic non-fuel-driven machine medicine, has within the Caucasian culture and medical science and the civilization has failed to, to actually substitute the electrical and fuel-driven machines for human ability. And this failure is reflected in the overabundance of Caucasian physical diseases, cultural psychosis, such as social wars and spiritual failures, individual professed belief in God and yet still lie, murder, and kill for a particular government ourself. It will continue to fail because Caucasian culture uses failure to manipulate and control people. Very interesting. In other words, rather than using success to um, influence people and, and inspire the, the best of one's uh, essence in terms of being a spiritual being, having a human experience, and to deal with spirit as the utmost of uh, objective for one when you're in, on this planet Earth, to learn your lessons, to uh, cleanse yourself from negative karma, that we find ourselves being manipulated by a, a system, by a society, by a culture, coming from the European um, area, as it were, that uses failure as a means to manipulate. And as I mentioned in previous shows, uh, we're talking about in terms of health, we're conditioned to assume a certain diet, a certain lifestyle that doesn't 
allow us to be successful in the in obtaining the optimum amount of health in our in our lifespan. Thusly, we are manipulated to uh, try to self-medicate by using drugs, including alcohol, by using certain types of foods, which I covered uh, went over last night. The fact that indeed through various types of foods, I learned and we learned together that one is self-medicating, especially with the levels, the types of junk food that we were talking about that, um, in the previous show. Namely, uh, white sugar, bleached white flour, polished white rice, white salt, and white cow's milk. A substitute for white sugar would be a sweetener, which is called stevia, which is uh, grown in a natural form and farmed throughout various parts of the world, especially within the African and Caribbean and Latin American countries. And then, of course, rather than white flour, one would use uh, whole grain flour, uh, brown rice or black rice rather than white rice, and uh, sea salt, preferably Himalayan salt rather than white salt. And my wife and I and family, we use almond milk as opposed to white cow's milk. But uh, I don't want to digress in that area for this evening. I know that we are going to be covering um, African ritual um, modalities, and I think that would be, you're going to find that interesting. Um, Dr. Africa talks about the holistic health science producing many health, many healing instruments, actually. And this is based on the principles of Ma'at. Ma'at instruments required the usage of higher developed psychic and spiritual energy for their proper use. And the names of these instruments have been distorted and um, and manipulated by Europeans. And many of these healing and diagnostic devices are labels, labeled as toys and games. For instance, the game of chess and checkers are extracted from an African divination and healing device called dots. And this device looks exactly like chess, except the so-called plain board has 27 squares which are laid out in three rows of squares and nine columns. And each column of the nine squares represents the nine energy forces or chakras of the individual respectively. Nine columns for the holy, for the body, and nine for mind, and nine for the spirit. The so-called plain pieces were placed in the terracotta bowl or cloth bag and mixed by shaking and next the pieces were removed without looking and placed on the board from left to right. And the pieces have meaning similarly to tarot cards. And these divining statues, i.e. pieces, once placed on the board were read to diagnose the illness, social problem, emotional issues, and to prescribe treatment. Bowling is an African healing and diagnostic and divination instrument mistaken for a game. Actually, it is the pyramidal 
and the divining egg device. The so-called pens or chakras were placed in the pyramid shape, and each pen representing an organ, fate as well as spirit, mental, emotional, and social state. The divining egg bowling ball was programmed with the aura of the patient. A witness of cloth or hair was used. Then the ball was rolled to strike the pens, and next the healer would read the pens based upon how they fell, and the director, or should I say, how they fell and what direction they lay in, and according to astrology and what matrix they form, finally the healer would then program the ball, i.e. egg, and strike the pens, chakras, in order to change fate or find a remedy. The sliding board is actually the African negative gravity ionic device. This instrument usually had an electromagnetically charged board and 12 or 24 magnetic charged steps. And these steps, i.e. chakra planes, were used to recharge the positive chakra while the board was used to stimulate the pineal the pineal gland, and increased circulation to the brain. And then the patient would slide down the board head first and or feet first according to the type of treatment that was necessitated. Now we come to the swing. The swing is another ill-named African healing instrument. The horizontal bar would support the swing and this bar would be suspended and attached to vertical support posts, usually three posts, which were arranged in a pyramid shape, and the posts and the horizontal bar would be charged by magnets. Thus, the patient would swing through the electromagnetic force field, and alpha gamma rays and the pyramid energy field would cause a polarization of energies on the psyche and the physical level. This is a pendulum pyramidal healing device. Next, we come to the seesaw, or African electromagnetic adjustable alignment board, which is an ancient healing device. It was arranged in a circular sphere according to the origin being treated, or the organ being treated, rather. The alpha ray energy angular wave was used and the board was placed on a pyramid pivot with crystals or metals. As a counterbalance for the diseased patient, then the patient would be caused to seesaw according to the rhythm vibration. And this would result in polarization of the diseased organ. The internal organ vibration adjustments caused by the electromagnetic force field of the board, pyramid, crystal, and ionic wave force excited the healing care. The above ancient African instruments are but a few of the many found in fossil remains, tomes, and the drawings. In the book Supersynthonics Super by Christopher Hill, healing devices are scientifically explained and validated to function. A holistic myot life with higher human training was required for a healer to operate them 
and European invaders and grave robbers, archaeologists, believe the devices were toys and games. They can only use instruments that they can understand and validate by their science, primitive cartoon logic. Magnetism and its effects on the living system by A. Davis and W. Rawls, Jr. can be used to further understand these devices. African science is complex and yet based on the physiology of the body and taught systematically. Now, he's going to also share with us the essence of a deck of cards. He states that the Caucasians have reached the level of reducing the deck of cards to a play toy, but actually they are African in origin and had the symbolism of Egyptian Torah cards and African astrology and spirituality. The cards were used to teach astrology, astronomy, mathematics, dividing, spirituality, and to diagnose and treat diseases. A deck of cards has two colors, red and black, active and positive, positive and negative, male principle and female principle, masculine signs, Aries, Gemini, Leo, Libra, Sagittarius, Aquarius, and feminine signs, Taurus, Cancer, Virgo, Scorpio, Capricorn, Pisces. Then they have four suits, hearts, clubs, diamonds, spades, the four elements, fire, water, air, earth, and the four seasons. And then 12 court cards, kings, queens, jacks, the 12 months of the year, 52 cards, the 52 weeks of the year, 13 cards in each suit, the 12 signs of the zodiac and the sun, the body of Osiris that was cut into 13 pieces, dismembered. So we must remember. And values of the numbers, seven and nine, the number seven is the sense of each suit. Ancients believed there were seven planets, they were heavenly forces, seven planets to symbolize chakras, Mayat and the seven halls of Osiris. There are seven days to a week. The number nine is the last single number, the cycle of experience, the number that includes all planets and is the highest digit. After nine, there is zero, and the sequence starts over with one. There are nine holes in the body, Ubinical navel hole is closed. And then we have the joker, the remnant of days beyond the logical seven times 52 to total are required 365 and a quarter days for the sun's travel in the solar year. This is more fully explained in the mystic textbook. The joker is the highest symbol in the deck, usually pictured as fate in the fool's clothes. It is rejected or played wild in Caucasian card games. Its true significance, however, is identical with that of the zero or fool card. In Egyptian Torah, it also symbolizes one day. That is part of the 365 quarter day solar year. It is the spiritual element that completes the earth's existence, 365 days. And now we get into the basic characteristics of personality or disease. Fire sign, 
Hearts equals Aries, Leo, Sagittarius, Earth sign. Spades equals Taurus, Virgo, Capricorn, Air sign. Diamonds equals Gemini, Libra, Aquarius, Water sign. Clubs equals Cancer, Scorpion, and Pisces. And then he gets into, Dr. Africa, the quality of personality or disease. You have cardinal, outgoing, initiated, aggressive, illness, equals Aries, heart, cancer, club, Libra, diamond, Capricorn, spade, and fix, resist change, originators, seven, uh, originated severe disease equals Taurus, Spade, Leo, Heart, Scorpio, Club, Aquarius, Diamond. Immutable, flexible, versatile, healing is fast equals Gemini, Diamond, Virgo, Spade, Sagittarius, Heart, Pisces, Club. Suit of cards, the order corresponds to the seasons, hearts, clubs, diamonds, spades, or spring, summer, harvest, winter. Now, that says a lot in terms of those of us of African descent. I can recall as a teenager when I was first introduced to playing cards, whether they be spades or whist, poker. Um, I can't think of the other games off the top of my head, but I know I was fascinated. And I also remember that, indeed, um, I know when I lived in Harlem, uh, my mother and father, my stepfather, uh, they would have rent parties because, you know, you had after the Depression within certain communities, my stepfather was a barber during the day, and then in the evening he was dealing with lower self-orientation with drugs and, and, and uh, matter of fact, he sold drugs for a moment and uh, found himself inside of um, being imprisoned and and would get released and maybe go back after four or five years. And that was part of the culture. And I, I must just share with you that, indeed, I grew up in Harlem. I was born in Virginia, Petersburg, Virginia, but grew up in Harlem during the days of the, uh, of the hard bebop jazz period, just after the big band. I can recall going to the Apollo Theater every um, month, at least once a month, sometimes twice a month. And um, on Lenox Avenue, I, I can remember uh, seeing the, the um, parades and every Sunday, Father Divine and, and Daddy Grace and Sugar Ray Leonard. And occasionally I can recall even seeing uh, Malcolm X um, with people gathering around him and he would be speaking and, and preaching and just sharing knowledge. But I just to go back to my stepfather, he cut hair um, during the day, and usually a lot of his customers, because my mother would send me to the barber shop to pick up uh, the tips that he got so we could eat that evening. And I always was fascinated the fact that he would uh, have certain individuals walk in who were musicians, and I found out that these, was, these were band members who played at the Apollo with Count Basie and Duke Ellington and all the major bands that performed at the Apollo, and they had straightened hair, what they used to call back then a Marcel. And he was one of the experts that did Marcel's, and subsequently he used to get free tickets. And I 
you know, he would take me, and that's how I became uh, a lover of jazz and became a uh, self-taught pianist. I took up the clarinet and trumpet in high school and then um, was introduced um, vicariously through my living in a, um, in a boarding school group home called Woodycrest in the Bronx, who happened to grow up with uh, Brother Abby Odun Oyewole, one of the originators of The Last Poets, and Brother James Blake, Takbir, uh, Muhammad, who was an educator in the city, um, in the Sunni system, who was um, the, actually the person who escorted um, Rosa Parks to the, Af to the One Million Man March to speak at the podium very, very much involved, brother, within the community. Uh, we all, many of us became activists within the community and uh, went through our journeys, as it were, and now we have regrouped, we're in touch with one another. But again, I started that, that thought, that train of thought, is we're talking about playing cards. You know, what if we were aware of the significance of this system? just a deck of cards, and then uh, the history of the seesaw, the swing, the bowling ball, chess and checkers. Where would we be now? But I don't want to get into if we could have, should have. Now we do know, and we're needed to share, each one, each one, teach one, and share this knowledge within our communities. So indeed, we can accelerate the process of healing. Now, Dr. Africa goes into the area of the mystery system. And we're going to go back again, as I touched upon my life uh, momentarily, in terms of health habits and diet and, and self-medication, because that's something that I need to address, but I don't want to dig digress uh, too much in this evening. The medical practitioners of Africa receive formal education by being initiated into the mystery system. A medical student was selected for initiation just as students are selected for college via scores and personality profiles. The student initiates could participate in their education on a general educational level called esoteric learning or on a higher level called esoteric. The mystery system has seven degrees, levels of steps of learning before completion. And the first degree educates you in the course of base aspects of medicine and is known as pastoporus. This system is not confined to medical uh, to medicine and includes all known and unknown sciences. However, the initiate could be educated for a specific area, major, or talent or a combination of areas, a combination of majors. In any case, upon completion of the first degree, the student advances to the neocroes degree, which focuses on the structural energy of medicine, such as the energy of shapes, squares, pyramids, triangles, and obelisks. And then the miniophorus degree is studied whereby the student learns the energy forces of the non-polarized energy, such as the melanin 
DNA energy state, which is created between the death and life state. And in the Christophorus degree, the student learns how to will the inherent laws of plants, crystals, metals, colors, magnets, music, etc. And in the fifth degree of Balanhate, the student learns the science of nature and interactions of alchemic laws. And then in the sixth degree of Astronomus, the student learns cycles, astrology, and the manipulations of the cosmic forces and their reactions in the cells, thoughts, biochemistry, organs, bones, emotions, vitamins, and minerals in the body and on the galaxy. And in the seventh degree of the Propheta, the student learns all the secrets of the higher mystery system and becomes a god, i.e. master, Ph.D. And Dr. Africa states it is very interesting to note that the word God is not meant in the European Orthodox sense. In African culture, if a chicken had offspring, children, they were called chickens. So, and if God had children, man, they could be called gods as well. The title of God was earned via the mystery system and the application of ma'at in the daily life. And the course completion could take up to 13 years or more, a combination of high school and college. Today, the course has to be adapted, reduced, translated, and put into a language conducive to the social condition. Africans are in white supremacy, and it has to be used as a technology for African liberation. The selection of a student into esoteric mystery system would take from two to three years. Hippocrates spent at most, at the most extreme estimate, two years or less in Africa. And his knowledge of medicine would have been the esoteric or the general mystery system course. In other words, Greek and Caucasian medicine is based upon the first books, the first degree of African medical science. Yet, with this limited knowledge, Hippocrates cured approximately 3,000 people in his lifetime. He did not know blood circulation. Uh, he did not know that blood circulated in the body. He used the books stolen from Africa along with information taught by the priest, monk, health practitioners of the uh, Ecopolis temple cult. So that's very interesting, family. Indeed, we now have more of an understanding of the medicine that's being practiced today. And I must add, though, that the identification of the European Caucasian is a broad stroke, but we should not make that, a, we should not take that as such, because there are many who are uh, very sincere who are advocates of the health of, of all of us, of all of humanity, that it be brought to a level of righteousness and fairness, and most of all, of higher consciousness. But uh, the predominant uh, factor is that the major forces that be, the powers that be, that support that 1%, as it were, or whatever percentage it is that 
that has the major influence and control, they're there not for our well-being. Well, I'm going to take a short break right now, and I do, again, thank you for tuning in. And those of you who are in the chat room, please feel free to share your thoughts. And anyone that calls in, if you'd like to speak to me and the listening audience, please press the number one button, and it would be a pleasure to interact with you. Just one or two ounces, 
Chiavita delivers a surge of smooth, sustained energy that lasts for four hours, and, and actually for many hours, more than four. With me, it's about maybe six or eight hours, depending on what I've consumed, what I've eaten prior to drinking it. And along with you, with, with feeling energized, you get greater mental clarity and focus, and a feeling of calmness and well-being, unlike the other energy drinks, which you, you might get the shakes and the jitters. Cheetah <laughs> um, Vita is also an all-natural, delicious, functional health beverage, beverage that most people feel results as soon as they try it, and subsequently they want to drink it over and over again. And I recommend that you go to my website, which is healthiswealth.com. Again, I repeat that, that's healthiswealth.com. And um, you will see some um, sections where various athletes and celebrities who give testimonials about the drink. And uh, we have a special where you can get a 32-ounce bottle for about $19, $19, including shipping, which normally sells for $30. Uh, for $30. Actually, including shipping would be about $38. So I highly recommend that you... Um, Check out my site and give the drink a try if you're in, uh, in, in, inclined to want to have a health drink that really gives re positive results. Also, I have another site, which is uh, drumsofchange.com. And at that site, I sell drums, African drums, as well as books. I have a bookstore and drumstore on the site. And you can purchase this book that I'm reviewing um, African Holistic Health by Dr. Africa. That can be obtained at my site as well at drumsofchange.com. And last but not least, to witness, uh, uh, to see pictures rather of me running my 14th marathon, the New York City Marathon, you can go to wesleygray.org, W-E-S-L-E-Y-G-R-A-Y.org, wesleygray.org, and there are pictures there which uh, show me running, starting in Staten Island, New York City, and finishing the 26 miles at Central Park uh, back in 2010. Okay, so we're going to continue now, and, and I know that we touched upon African ritual, and I just want to defer to, uh, or refer to The Healing Wisdom of Africa, the book titled The Healing Wisdom of Africa by by Dr. Maladoma Patrice Somme. The rituals and elements of, of, uh, of Africa is one of the most ancient ways of binding a community together and also in a close relationship with the spirit. And Dr. Somme says that it is a way of communicating with forms of consciousness and beings from countless worlds. And it has been one of the most practical and efficient ways to stimulate the safe healing required by both the individual and the community. Ritual has always been the way of life of the spiritual person because it is a tool to maintain a delicate balance between body and soul. And a tribal community healing of the village happens in ritual. He goes on to state that what is ritual? And he says that every time 
a gathering of people under the protection of spirit triggers a body of emotional energy aimed at bringing them very tightly together. A ritual of one type or another is in effect. And in this kind of gathering, people primarily are nonverbal. They use nonverbal means of interacting with one another, thereby stimulating the life of the psyche. He goes on to state what happened in the United States when President Kennedy was assassinated can be likened to a ritual. Suddenly and spontaneously, the country came together, bound by an emotional energy. In the indigenous context, death triggers the same ritual response. When someone dies, everything stops, and the village comes together for the funeral. I know he's talking about the United States as a whole, but I know those of us of African descent can remember that when El Haj Malik Al Shabazz was assassinated, Malcolm X, when he was taken from us, we came together. And in various forms, in various ways, we uh, were very silent and reverent. And then, of course, we had our individual ritualistic uh, practices that we performed. The same holds true with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Unfortunately, though, uh, there was a lot of violence that erupted from that experience. I won't delve into that, but I know that indeed uh, there is within our psyche this uh, orientation for very uh, high-end, higher consciousness ritual in terms of celebration of those who are leaders in our community and um, light workers and healers. Dr. Somi goes on to state that there are two parts to ritual. One part is planned, where people prepare the space for the ritual and think through the general uh, choreography of the process. And I, I must state, I know my experience living here in New York City, primarily in Brooklyn, that you can walk down the streets at times, especially during the summer, when the weather isn't inclement, and you'll find candles lit in front of a store or a building or a corner. And unfortunately, that might be where someone was, um, whose life was taken away. Even bicycles chained to a pole, painted white, with white spray paint. A child, unfortunately, being struck by a vehicle and whose life was taken away. Various types of rituals which are created to symbolize the grief and, and the collective grieving experience and reverence to spirit. So as Brother Maladoma states that there's a general choreograph of a process that takes place. And the other part of the ritual cannot be planned because it is part, the part that spirit is in charge of. And I'm very much aware of that. I've been called upon to play at various funerals, especially in the last year. I must have performed about four times, four or five times at funerals. 2013 was a very intense year in which um, many of my brothers and sisters, some who I knew and some who I did not know, were called 
to become ancestors and went back home until they return again. So he goes on to state, Dr. Somme, that the unplanned part of ritual is spontaneous, almost unpredictable interaction with the energy source. It is a response to a call from a non-human source to commune with a larger horizon. It is like a journey. Before you get started, you own the journey. And after you start, the journey owns you. Certain events move us irresistibly towards ritualized behavior. For example, the loss of a loved one, as I mentioned earlier. A major accident, I also mentioned. The witnessing of a violent death or a natural disaster. When such an event happens, no observer can predict people's actions or logically explain what goes on because the people affected by the event act without conscious control. Any emotional frenzy, to the extent that it is orchestrated by spirit, has something realistic, ritualistic about it. Ritual can look like an opportunity for loss of control, the place where you surrender your control to spirit, to whatever force is present because you trust the leadership of that force. Even highly controlled people from time to time want to cut loose, and ritual offers this opportunity. For in ritual, you may be able to plan what will happen, but you cannot plan the outcome. And this is because people will respond in a spontaneous ways to, to the cause spirit. And where exactly the journey will take the group, no one can say. However, it is important to recognize what ritual is not. It is not repetitive or compulsive behavior, like having coffee or a cigarette in the morning, nor is it an everyday formality, like greeting another person with a handshake, hug, or kiss. In a day-to-day -day life, when you go to the public place of business, you're expected to stand in line, and if you find that others have preceded you to the same space. Ritual is just the opposite. It is a gathering with others in order to fill spirit's call to express spontaneously and publicly whatever emotion needs to be expressed, to create and constant with others an unrehearsed and deeply moving response to spirit, and to fill the presence of the community, including the ancestors throughout the experience. People's psyche are very drawn to ritual because it is a place of high ecstasy. And what happens in ritual is not unlike what happens to people who ingest drugs. Drugs. Ritual is a place of safe ecstasy, but with no undesirable side effects. And this is one of the reasons why indigenous people love ritual. They spend the majority of their time planning for ritual, doing it, and recovering from it. It is important also to distinguish between ritual and ceremony. He says... I remember the first time that I was invited to a wedding in the West. I thought it would be an opportunity to see the true ritual, since two people were going to be melted into wedlock for life. I was thinking, Dr. Somme says, I was thinking about the deeply ritualistic event that a wedding implies in my own culture. There, a whole family escorts the bride to the groom after making an offer at the altar of the ancestors. 
At the groom's house, the ritual welcoming begins with another gathering of the elders at the shrine of the groom's ancestors. The invocation prayer is aimed at protection, good health, children, and harmony. And then they offer sacrifices of chickens, pour water for peace, and continued reconciliation, then distribute ash for protection against bad spirits. And after this, the bride's village must sing songs of praise to the bride and demand that the groom's village and family members prove their worthiness. For long hours, a chanted dialogue occurs between villages and families, where the bride's peoples investigate in songs the economic, social, and political worth of the groom's people. The bride's people will not enter the groom's house for the first refreshment of the day until satisfied that the groom's people check out well on every item. And of course, they know all this in advance. But it's when a priest or minister asks a bride and a groom if they want to take each other as partners, knowing what the answers will be, the response the responses need to be made public. And then he goes on to state that when I was invited to an American wedding, I was still carrying my culturally shaped ideas about the kind of ritual that the wedding would be. And that is why I was disappointed. First, I admired the beautiful clothing that nearly everyone wore. The bride looked angelic in her white dress, the groom was a true gentleman, beautiful in his black tuxedo, but the beauty of the participants was not enough to constitute a moving ritual. To me, the crowd's attitude was most strange. The passivity of those present made me wonder if anyone cared about the bride and the groom. People seemed to be more responsive to appearances, drinks, and partying than to the sacred commitment of the two getting married. The exchange of vows had little sincerity, except in the case of the bride, who seemed to carry some emotion in her answer, I do. But the vows seemed to emphasize the heavy burdens placed upon the couple. Each was asked if they promised to love one another, whether sick or healthy, miserable or happy, wealthy or poor. And they both said yes, and the crowd said nothing. My first reaction was, this is not possible. Two people can't do this alone. And Maladoma says that I was instinctively responding to the fact that in my culture, the families exchanged the wedding vows on behalf of the couple. The essence of this collective vow is the recognition that the ancestors are witnesses to the couple's commitment to serve and care for each other. And these same ancestors will counsel the two families in times of stress as much as in times of joy. From an indigenous point of view, ceremonies are events that are reproductible, predictable, and controllable, while rituals call for spontaneous feelings and trust in the outcome. The annual Rose Parade in the Pasadena or the New Year's Eve day has no place for the spontaneity and disorder that accompany the emotional surrender of ritual. The Memorial Day service in Arlington National Cemetery will not authorize spontaneity. 
Anyone who bursts into tears and audible cries, for example, would probably be considered a disruption. These events are ceremonies, not rituals. However, ritual by contrast is a time of unexplained, unforeseeable, yet orderly disorder. Whereas in ceremony, there is a potential for boredom because the participants pretty much know what's going to happen. In ritual, the soul and the human spirit get permission to express themselves. So what to Westerners are rituals appear to indigenous people as instead ceremonies. Among the most visible expressions are the varieties of church practices from mass to processional ceremonies and celebrations. And Manodoma states that when he was a teenager living in a Catholic seminary, he especially used to appreciate candlelight ceremonies on Easter night. The otherworldliness of the service was extremely attractive to him. On Ash Wednesday, he liked the touch of ash on his forehead, although he blocked out the words, you are ash, and shall return to ash. The problem with these ceremonies is that over time, they begin to lose their attraction since they happen in the same way year after year. And they do not have the essential ingredient, spontaneity, which is to indigenous people speaks of the presence of spirit. And of course, the same words said in the same way over time to help people in the West feel connected to spirit because the very repetition reminds people of the thousands who have gone before who said the same words and so must have gone through a similar experience. But the presence of spirit is marked in African village in such the opposite way. By releasing emotional spontaneously and rather than by providing a container for emotion through familiar words. So when most Westerners think of ritual, they, they are most likely to connect it with words such as empty, old-fashioned, irrelevant, and boring, then with words such as transforming, essential, challenging, or healing. Ritual continues to engage the passion and the commitment of indigenous people because it stimulates their creativity and their emotions. And most of all, they continue to do ritual because afterward they feel change. So doing ritual heals people, reconnecting them to their ancestors and to their own deepest purpose because ritual is so deeply connected to our human nature. Any time it is missing, there will be a lack of transformation and healing. And if a culture does not draw from ritual, its memories will do something else to fill the gap because they have to heal. And in the absence of ritual, Westerners turn instead to therapists, self-help groups, or at a more destructive end of the spectrum to alcohol and drugs. And ritual is a dance with spirit, the soul's way of interacting with the other world the human psyche's opportunity to develop relationship with the symbols of this world and the spirits of the other. And so I thank you. We've come now to the end of this evening's show, and I do thank you again for tuning in, and I hope that what I've shared with you has been enlightening and 
if not reaffirming, for those of you who are already aware of certain aspects of ritual and other things that I discuss as shared by Dr. Africa and Dr. Somme, I, I do appreciate the fact that I have the opportunity to humbly be a, facil a facilitator and to engage in the process of us sharing with each other. Each one, reach one, teach one. As always, I end, as I begin by giving homage and praise to the one most high God, to our ancestors, to my lovely wife, to my dear beloved mother, to all of my children, my daughter and godsons, my siblings, to all of my friends and family throughout the cyber world, the social network community, I give thanks and send love. Shalom, assalamu alaikum, hetepu, hotep, namaste, all my relations. I prayerfully hope that your evening continues to be one of joy and peace. And I look forward to having you with us on the next show.